welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Let's read these words together, please. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Arguably the most famous words in Christendom, without doubt the most famous prayer that was ever uttered and we all know it by the fact that probably we could have done it without the words on the screen. But this morning it is the the focal point of what I want us to look at. This morning, we conclude a series that we began a number of weeks ago. We had a a break for two weeks when Don did his series, but we come back and we conclude the series this morning, Handle with Care, at which we have looked at for a couple of weeks the challenge of biblical truth and its role in in our lives and in the 21st century. Now that we are living, so we're told, in a post-truth society. And the challenge of kindness in an increasingly angry and grumpy world. So today I want to move on and in so doing conclude this series and talk about the liberating power of forgiveness and how we should allow it to be part of our lives. It is one of those things that if we allow forgiveness to be a reality in our life, it transforms us, I should say, more than anything else. But the trouble is, Forgiveness is Christianity 101. It's, it's, it's all about the Christian faith. It's God forgiving us. But the challenge is we all know forgiveness and we become familiar with it. But then when you ask people to move in the power of forgiveness and forgive other people, they start to hanker down and say, well, you don't know what my life has been like. And that's absolutely true. So on one hand, forgiveness is incredibly powerful and it's the DNA of the Christian reality. But when you come to talk about it, you always get a mixed response. You get a lot of pushback on it. And well, I know all about forgiveness. Well, I don't want to talk about it because you don't know what I have been going through. But as we looked at kindness, a number of weeks ago, kindness has to have an outworking. You just can't be kind in your heart. It has to have an outworking in reality. And forgiveness is the same. Forgiveness has to have a reality. It has to have an outworking in our life for it to be powerful. Just to know the dimensions of forgiveness is not good enough. It has to be a real and ongoing part of who we are. And I I ask this question of myself and I ask the question of us all is, have we become used to being forgiven? Have we become used to knowing what our sins are forgiven? Is it one of those things that, yeah, we all know about forgiveness. Perhaps we've become too forgiven. One of the crucial aspects of understanding forgiveness is how we as individuals understand God to be. If I was to do a poll of each and every one of us here today, it would take a long time. But if I could ask you, what sort of image do you have of God? Or what does your God actually look like? I believe that we would have an incredibly interesting response. You know, we could all probably give the the theological answer of what God looks like. But if I was to drill down and say, what does your God really look like in your mind? I believe that we would have a varied and interesting 
response. For some of us, yes, we are saved, but God is an angry God, a God that is looking for something to tell us off about, always endeavoring to keep us in line, that we're simply not quite good enough, a finger-pointing God like Michelangelo's uh, painting of the Sistine Chapel that's pointing and says, you know, yes, you're saved, but you're not really good enough, or you're not really living up to the standards. It would be really interesting to see how many of us have that understanding of God because our understanding is so crucial. For others, our image of God will resemble or even be a mirror image of what our earthly fathers are like or were like. For some, it will be a good image, and for some, it will be a terrible, terrible image. If our dads, if our fathers were present, involved, active, kind, and generous, and so on, this will hugely influence how we perceive our Heavenly Father. It will hugely influence our image of what He looks like. But if our, God, if our dads were cruel and angry and unforgiving, this too will shape very powerfully how we think of him. If he was unreliable, if he was absent, if he was distant, all plays into how we think of our heavenly father. And you know, yes, I know that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. He's trying to transform our minds into the image of Christ. And he's trying to transform our, our, our thoughts around who God is. The image that we have had of our earthly father will profoundly affect our heavenly father's image. And to really, really grasp what forgiveness is all about, we really have to start, and if I can say finish, at, with Christ on the cross. And these incredibly, incredible words, which we'll, I want to read to you today, it says that when they came to the place they called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Imagine, you're about to be executed. The most painful, cruel death that has really ever been devised as a form of execution. And at the very moment that you are choking on your vomit and you are struggling for breath, you have the wherewithal to choose to say, Lord, God, my Father, please forgive these people because they do not know what they're doing. In incredible pain, in incredible anguish, about to know that he's going to be separated from his Father. The vomit is in his mouth. It's going down his throat. He is struggling for breath. His thoughts are, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Imagine what that must have been like. Jesus, who, the Jesus who died on the cross, the God that is crucified in our place there was an, and is an incredible example of how we should function in forgiveness. And this morning, I just want to unpack some of the things that took place there and what do they mean for us as we work out what it is to be a person of forgiveness in everyday life. You know, being forgiven by God was a one and only event, but now we need to take that and see what that looks like in everyday situation. Two things were happening primarily here on the cross. Firstly, Jesus is bearing the sin, 
and the shame and the rebellion of every single person that has ever lived. Christianity 101, but that's got to be the starting place. Every single person, every single thought, every single action, every single attitude that has ever happened or is happening right now or will happen in the future, Jesus was bearing the weight of that. God's son was dying in our place, and he is still thinking about forgiveness. And secondly, at the same time as bearing punishment, he did not deserve, he makes a decision and looks to his father and he prays for forgiveness. Two incredible things are emerging here. He is dying for our sins and yet he is setting us an example. He is dying for our sins and yet he is showing us how we need to live. The remarkable thing about this moment is not that he's just praying for forgiveness for the men at the foot of the cross who are taking the mick out of him or who are teasing him, who are are goading him or who are being nasty to him. He is praying for the forgiveness for you and me. He is bearing our sins for the person next to you, the person in front of you. But above all, he is asking for our forgiveness for putting him there as well. As Jesus died on the cross around 30 AD in a place called Jerusalem, where men did not really notice or men did not care less, he was thinking of men and women sitting in this room today because it is our sins that put him there and he is still teaching us about forgiveness. Forgiveness, I will say this time and time again, is not just a one-off package deal. Forgiveness is supposed to be a characteristic of our life. He is thinking of you and me of when we were short this morning with someone, when we were grumpy with someone, or when we we looked at something that we shouldn't have, when we just spoke something out of line this morning, he was forgiving each and every one of us for those things nearly 2,000, over 2,000 years ago. He is forgiving us. He is setting us free. He's giving us hope. He's giving us transformation. But he's also giving us a pattern for life. It is truly incredible that God should be so forgiving. Imagine today knowing a great God whose speciality is mercy, who likes nothing more than to wipe the slate clean. That's what he wants to do. He wipes the slate clean, and that's his mandate for us. You know, but for forgiveness for many of us can be an incredibly difficult issue. Both giving it and receiving it can be incredibly hard for us when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of forgiveness and the people that we work and live with it's a whole new ball game I don't think it gets much harder than embracing someone or being kind to someone who has hurt you that's got to be incredible it is incredibly difficult embracing someone who has done stuff against us and that we choose yet to forgive them doesn't come much harder than that you know there is perhaps one thing that's a little bit more difficult than that, and that's going to someone and asking for forgiveness. That is so tough. When you know that you have hurt someone, when you know that you have been cruel, that is so, so difficult that you just realize, I have been an absolute whatever, and I have done something, I have hurt them, And yet they have been kind, but I need to go and ask them for forgiveness. You know, that gets tough. But you know, I think there's probably one thing more difficult than even those two. 
when, when we look ourselves in the mirror and realize that we have hurt people and we can't forgive ourselves. And forgiveness is about all of those things. But sometimes forgiving ourselves is arguably the most difficult things that we do. When we look in ourselves in the mirror and realize, I have hurt so-and-so so, so bad. And they're not around. They may have accepted my forgiveness, but yet I have been such a jerk and have offended someone. The book of Proverbs says that a word spoken is like a spent arrow. Once it's gone, it's gone. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I find myself way too often in this situation. You say something and you know that you shouldn't have said it. And those words, they've gone out of your mouth and they're winging their way to that person. And you would move heaven and earth to suddenly catch those words and to bring them back. And yet they've gone and they've said something and you know that they're going to hurt somebody. And very often that person will be very kind and gracious and say, ah, that's okay, I forgive you, that's okay. But you look yourself in the mirror and you think, no, no, no. And yet we have to learn to forgive ourselves. You know, forgiveness is such a tricky, tricky issue. And it can be really difficult. And that's why we need to handle it with care. But when we do, it can be profoundly powerful. During World War II... There was a lady and her family who ended up in a Nazi concentration camp. So the name will be familiar to many of you. Her name was Corrie Ten Boom. And she, along with her sister, remember the book, The Hiding Place? If you've never read her book, download it, read it. It is incredibly transformational. Corrie and her sister, Betsy, back in their home country of the Netherlands, they rescued and protected many, many Jewish people and many, many people who uh, stood against the Nazis. Literally hundreds, if not thousands, that they helped for the rescued from persecution. But eventually, they themselves ended up in a concentration camp. And just before Betsy died, Betsy died 10 days roughly before she would have been released in the end of the war, and she was talking with her sister, and they were reminiscing about their arrest and their subsequent incarceration. And they made reference to the goodness of God in those situations. And they made reference to the fact that uh, when they were arrested, Corrie had a Bible on her. And when they were taken to the concentration camp, she still had this Bible on her. And when she was uh, going to be examined or checked by the guard, she knew that because she had the Bible, she would be shot dead. But as they were going towards the guard who was going to strip her naked and who was going to go through all her clothes and go through her body intimately to see what they had, there was, a, there was something happened off, the, off to the side. And the, and, the, and the guard's attention was drawn to that. And Corrie and Betsy walked into the concentration camp. No one checked them. And they had their Bible with them. Incredible stories of what God did in those situations with her. And shortly before she died, Betsy turned to her sister and said, There is no pit deeper than God's love. There is no place where God's love cannot reach. And Corrie turned to her sister Betsy and asked her, How do you know this? And Betsy replied, Because I have been to hell and God came with me. That was the context of some of the situations that were to flow out of this. Corrie, after the war, began to speak about their story. She talked about the incredible grace 
and the amazing power of God to keep her in, and her sister in incredible situations. She talked about the fact that she had a vitamin bottle that she, was, she took into the camp with her that was also hidden on her body. And for, for a long, long time, they gave out vitamin drops to all the different prisoners. And this small bottle never ran dry. And she gave dozens of drops out every day. And she talked about the incredible goodness of God in what they described on hell. And she traveled the world, telling people about the grace and the goodness of God. On one occasion, she was in Germany. She was back in Germany, and she was speaking at a meeting. And a man approached her, and this is what he said. Miss Ten Boom, I am the SS officer who treated you so badly when you were at Ravensbrück concentration camp, which was one of the most notorious female concentration camp. And then he said, and he did one thing. He said, will you forgive me? And he held out his hand. And Corrie in her book talks about the fact that in her mind, it didn't, but in her mind, time stood still and said that she did not know what to do at that moment. Not one thing in her mind, in her body, in her soul, in, in her spirit, wanted to forgive that man. He had been particularly brutal to them. Everything want, within her wanted to withdraw her hand and say, no, I don't. But she knew that she had to make a decision, so she reached out her hand and said, I decide to forgive you. And they shook hands and they embraced. And she says, in that very moment that she said, I decide to forgive you, she recalls that something swept through her and she had a love and a compassion for that man that could only be described as something unique and special from God. Because she says, I did not feel like forgiving him, I did not want to forgive him, but I chose to forgive him because that's what the Bible tells me to do. And when I reached out to my hand, God did something so incredible in my life. She said, I did what the Bible commanded and something happened. A remarkable story, a remarkable lady, but also a remarkable lesson. You know, forgiveness is an act of the will. It is a decision of the heart. It is something you can decide to do even if you don't feel like it. It's not a decision based on emotions or even the rights and wrongs of a situation. This is the only way that you can explain Jesus' forgiveness on the cross. It's the only way that you can explain Corrie ten Boom's forgiveness. Not only is it a decision only we can make, but when we do make it, our emotions will follow. Forgiveness is a personal choice. If you or if I are in a situation today where we need to forgive someone, I pray and I would move heaven and earth to encourage you to move in forgiveness and grant forgiveness where it needs to be given. Not to forgive is so incredibly damaging. You know, sometimes we think that we're, we're being nasty to somebody while well, we're having our own back on someone by not forgiving them. The person who's really been damaged when we don't forgive is not the person, it's us. Unforgiveness is like a disease that will eat away at our hearts and our minds if we don't move, excuse me, move in it. Sadly, I've sat across the table from too many people whose mental and physical health has been damaged and impacted because someone hurt them and they still haven't let it go and they still haven't moved in forgivenesses. 
Marriages are destroyed. Families are destroyed because unforgiveness is present. You know, you can be in a marriage and, and an argument can break out over something that is completely inconsequential, something that is totally nothing, something that is totally irrelevant, but it's always about the same thing. It's a trigger point to something that happened maybe years ago when you did something or that person did something to you and it's unresolved issue of forgiveness has not been dealt with. And the, and the issue is irrelevant. The fact is that it triggers off the feelings and the bitterness and the resentment that unforgiveness can take place, that unforgiveness can take care of. Christian forgiveness does not have its source in us, and that's the crux of the whole matter. If I rely on my strength to forgive someone, then I'm going to run out of my own strength. It doesn't have its foundation, it doesn't have its strength in us. But I root myself. And when we move in forgiveness, we root ourselves in what God has done for us. And then forgiveness flows out of that. It's because I am forgiven by God that I choose to forgive you. It is because you have been forgiven by God that you choose to forgive others. If I allow the forgiveness of God to touch my life and then to re remain with me, and not give it to other people, I have completely misunderstood what being a Christian is all about. If I do not forgive others, I do not know what Christianity is all about in light of what Christ has done for me. Forgive us this day as we have forgiven others. Because his forgiveness flows to me, it should then flow to other people. We are called to be conduits of forgiveness, not reservoirs. But the sad fact is a lot of our lives are getting blocked up because we hold this thing, forgiveness, and we don't let it flow to other people. And it takes a toll on each and every one of us. Say this gently, but nevertheless, it needs to be said. We do not have the right in God's economy to receive his forgiveness and then refuse to pass it on. You don't have that right. I don't have that right. It's not part of the deal. Forgiveness doesn't work on that basis. And if we try to change the foundation, it still doesn't work. Never was intended to work any other way than we receive it and then we pass it on. You know, the New Testament is full of references to Christ being the source of our forgiveness. Colossians tells us, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone... Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Then Hebrews says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's because of what Christ has done for us, then we forgive others. The forgiveness that we give to others is because of the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross for us. We can't have it. We can't hold it. We have to release. You, you, you can't hold and not release in rugby. So you have to hold and release in forgiveness. You know what I mean? It's, there's no parallel there at all. You have it. And if you hold it, you'll be penalized. The ref will blow you the whistle. Wasn't he a good ref last night? <laughs> you know... You can't say I'm forgiven and then withhold it from other people. You've got to release it. Release it. 
And how do we walk in forgiveness? Indira Gandhi, that incredible, brave female prime minister of India, said that forgiveness is the virtue of the brave. Not so eloquently put by myself, you need guts to forgive people. You need to resolve to forgive people, and sometimes it's an act of the will rather than an act of the emotion. If you need forgiveness today from someone, then you need to fully appreciate what you have done to them and repent going to that person that you've heard and asking them to forgive, it will be both profoundly simple and difficult at the same time. Desmond Tutu, the controversial, to say mildly, the controversial Archbishop of Cape Town during and post the apartheid years said these words, because forgiveness is like this. A room can be dark because you've closed the windows and you've closed the curtains. But the sun is shining outside and the air is fresh outside. In order to get that fresh air, you have to get up, open the windows, and draw the curtains apart. Sadly, for many believers, we live in a cell that is cold and dark and damp and miserable, and it's called unforgiveness. That we need to choose to open the windows, draw back the curtains, let the light of God's word come into our situation and put forgiveness into practice. That this is an action that goes with us. That when we move in forgiveness, the possibilities become endless. You see, one of the dangers of forgiveness, of talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness, is that we can compare the wrong that has been done to us compared to what we think has happened to the other person. Let me explain. The comparison is not a valid one. You know, they hurt me more than I hurt them. That's not acceptable. Well, they said things about me that I never said about them. That's not acceptable. Well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. That's not acceptable. See, those are wrong comparisons. The comparison we need to be making is our comparison to forgive compared to God's capacity to forgive. And we know how much he has forgiven us. We know what he has done. So everything that we have to do is not about the person, not about the person who's been nasty to us, not about our spouse, not about our children, but it's about how much has God done for me. And in light of that, man, I choose to forgive that person. We've got to get our comparisons right. Our comparison in regards to forgiveness is in light of what God has done for us. Too often it is said, well, I'm not forgiving them because they've not forgiven me. Wrong comparison. Well, and the right and only comparison, as I said, is what God has done for us. You know, Matthew tells us quite clearly, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you, move, you use it, it will be measured to you. You know, one of the biggest issues in the whole subject is knowing how much God has forgiven us. Have we become used to being forgiven? And I go back to Corrie ten Boom and this very familiar, a very familiar popular quote. She says, God takes our sins, the past, the present, the future, and dumps them in the sea and puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Now I know we know that as a very familiar one, but the truth that goes with that is God has dealt with our sins and he has put them as far as the east is from the west. And he has forgiven us, and that is a done deal. And that is the comparison that we need to be using when we come to forgive other people 
not what they have done for us. <laughs> the picture that is on the screen is a picture of a door that can be found in Dublin Cathedral. And if you ever get the chance to go to Dublin Cathedral, it's well worth it just to go and see this door. This door is called the Door of Reconciliation. And the story goes something like that. In 1492, the year that Columbus sailed to discover America, two great Irish families were doing what Irish families do the best, and they were fighting. They were the... um, the butlers of Ormond, and they were the Fitzgeralds of Kildare. And they were fighting over a political office. And there was blood, and there was a feud, and it was vicious, and it was nasty. And they were having a good old fight over it. And I said, as I said, it was particularly nasty. And during one particular feud, seeking sanctuary for fear of being defeated, the nephew of the Earl of Ormond and his men fled into the chapter house of the local cathedral. They knew that they were about to be defeated in that battle, so they ran for their lives, and they went into the chapter house, and they slammed that door shut behind them so that they were safe and secure. And the Fitzgeralds followed them in hot pursuit. The leader of the Fitzgerald, forgive my tongue-tiedness here, was Gerald Fitzgerald, only in Ireland. And he realized that the fighting was getting out of control and decided to want to bring it to a peaceful end. So through the closed door of the chapter house, he pleaded with the nephew inside. He said, let's bring this to an end. Let there be peace. Come out and we will treat you right. But there has to be a peace. So you can understand those inside believed that this was all about treachery. They didn't believe it for one second. So, Gerald Fitzgerald, on hearing this, he took a hacksaw, he took a a big carving knife, and he hacked a hole in the door. And if you can see it, it's well cut out. It's been tidied up over the years, but he took a knife and he cut a hole in the door, 1492. And as an act of his good intention... He puts his hand inside. He'd stripped it bare of any armament or all any knives. He puts his hand inside and he says, as a token of our goodwill, this is my hand. You can cut it off or you can shake it and we can have peace. And the family on the inside, or the the family, the, the, the warriors, I should say, on the inside from the other family, they saw that. They shook his hand and peace broke out. The door opened And the two warring factions received one another in peace, and the feud ended. This event is where we today get our saying, go on, chance your arm. That is the foundation where we get that saying, go on, chance your arm. If you go to Dublin Cathedral, you'll see it. It's called the Door of Reconciliation. You know, someone has to take the first step. So why can't it be us? Why can't it be you? Why can't it be me? For in so doing, we step into an act that God has already begun. For forgiveness and reconciliation is his idea, and we need to move in that power. I just want to ask us all a question. Is God asking some of us today 
to chance our arm and take the initiative in regards to instigating reconciliation with someone. A friend of mine, was a, form, was a colleague, former colleague, tells the following story. For the first 16 years of his life, he had a very, very difficult upbringing. He was raised on one of the roughest housing estates in the north of Ireland. And his dad was a particularly cruel dad, particularly nasty man. And he hated his father. He absolutely hated his father. But at the age of 16, my friend had a powerful, powerful conversion and encounter with Jesus Christ. And the first thing that he felt God say to him was, I won't say his name, but I want you to forgive your dad. And for 16 years from being a toddler, he, he had hated this man. He didn't want anything to do with it. It's particularly tra traumatic and a dramatic story. But he made a choice. God asked him to do it, so he decided to do it. So a few weeks later, he, he met up with his dad, and he went to his dad and he said, Dad, I forgive you for all that you've done to me. I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me and I choose to forgive you. And his father completely ignored him. His father completely blanked him and made absolutely no difference to his father whatsoever. But his friend said, but my friend said, it changed me. The story goes on that my friend, he's Irish, again, seems to be all about Ireland today, following this initial encounter with God, with his dad, I should say, get this, for the next 15 years, every Wednesday and every fr Saturday, he rung his father, and it went like this. And if you know anything about the Irish, even when they're older, they still call their mum and dads, mummy and daddy. There's something incredibly intimate about the way that the Irish talk with their parents. So every Wednesday, my friend would pick the phone up, and his dad would answer, and he would say, Daddy, I love you, and I forgive you. And his father would put the phone down and go and get his mother. For 15 years, every Wednesday and every Saturday, he did that. Every Wednesday and every Saturday for 15 years, his father put the phone down and went and got his mother and never said a word. He knows the dates. I can't remember when it is. One Saturday morning, he rang again. He was 29. And his father answered the phone and he said, Dad, I love you and I forgive you. And for the first time in 29 years, his father said, Son, and he called him by his name, and he said, Thank you. I love you. The first time in 29 years he heard his father use his own name. It was an incredible experience. What happened in those 15 years, I don't know. But I do know that what happened to my friend, and that was he was set free. He was set free the moment he forgave his dad. But it took his dad so many years to get set free. The chains that bound my friend were broken simply through an act of obedience. And over the years, every time he chose to forgive his dad and to ring him, another piece of love was put in his heart for his father. More release was allowed to take place in his heart for his dad every time he rang him. Little by little, he made the right choice every Wednesday and every Friday to move, uh, and every Saturday to move in forgiveness. Please hear me, musicians, please come and join me. 
I am not saying that for forgiveness to, t- to take place, that we should pretend that nothing has ever happened. There are some of us here this morning that our fathers have let us down, our mothers have let us down, our husbands, our wives, our children, our friends have let us down. They have been cruel, they have been selfish, they have been unkind and much more. And I'm not suggesting for one moment that forgiveness is all about saying everything is fine, let's get back together, it doesn't matter, or let's pretend it never happened. It hurt, it does matter, and it is incredibly painful. What I am saying is that forgiveness gives you the ability to say, you are no longer controlling me, so I'm going to forgive you. If we do not forgive people, they will forever control us and play on our minds. What we are saying is, I'm not going to be dominated by what you did to me. I'm not going to live in the light of your words to me, your words over me, your hatred towards me, your unfaithfulness to me, your lies against me, the way that you hurt me. I am no longer going to be subject to what power they have because I am forgiving you. I break the hold that you have over me and I break the chains that would desire to wrap me up by saying I forgive you. You know, This is what forgiveness asks us to do. I am convinced that it is a choice that many of us need to make. And in so doing, we need to step into the freedom of what God has done for us. That we need to stop comparing how people have hurt us compared to what we have done for them. That's not a right comparison. That when God asks us to forgive, he's not asking us to say everything is okay, everything is sorted, or everything is going to be fine. He is asking us to forgive. And in so doing, saying that we're not going to be controlled by anyone else out there anymore. We're coming under the power of what God has done for us. And I close with this, this great quote. It says this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover, then discover that the prisoner was you. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, Check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.